One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, where a weekly exploration of the power music has to connect us to our pasts and revive important stories from our lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Mia Borders. Mia was born and raised in Uptown, New Orleans. She's a singer and songwriter and guitarist and more who's become a perennial figure in the regional music scene there. Her catalog includes six LPs, various live albums, five singles, and three EPs, including 2019's Good Side of Bad, produced under her own own label, Blacksican Records. Mia has performed at such renowned venues as Essence Festival, Brazil's Bourbon Street Music Festival, House of Blues New Orleans, Santa Cruz Blues Fest, Chattanooga's Nightfall, Voice of the Wetlands, Memphis's Levitt Shell, Long's Park Amphitheater, and the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. She stopped by our studio on a Saturday afternoon while in town to perform a gig for the Americana Community Music Association in Fort Myers. Hey there, Mia. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Welcome to Southwest Florida. I'm happy to be here. You said you stopped in Tallahassee on the way down? I did. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you play there? Um, this little spot called Blue Tavern. Mm. Um, it's a restaurant, listening room type space. Um, very cool crowd. Is that a place you've played before? I have, yes. Hmm. Um, but you've never played the ACMA, right? I haven't, no. Now, I've seen a bunch of shows at the ACMA, and it's not usually a musician that makes the kind of music you do. It's usually a little <laughs> bit more just a singer-songwriter straight vibe. Can you explain mm-hmm. kind of the show that you'll put on tonight versus the kind of music maybe you would do in front of a bigger audience? Um, well, I play to whatever the room needs. So I've got solo stuff and then I've got eight piece stuff um, and everything in between. Um, the solo shows tend to be um, more along the Americana vein, um, just because that's sort of what happens when you have just solo vocals and a guitar. It just falls into that mm-hmm. sort of space. Um, there's a lot of silly, silly jokes and stories, just unnecessary. They shouldn't let me have a mic in between songs. I'm intrigued. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I talk way too much about, uh, where those songs came from and, and the people that they were inspired by and all that good stuff. And so it is all your own music then? It is, yes. Oh, cool. I'm a control freak. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we normally begin by asking guests what was the musical background of their childhood. You were born and raised in New Orleans. I feel yeah. like that's probably a more complicated question. Or is it? I don't know. It can be. It was just such a, a part of everything. Um, there's always music. School music was a major part of the curriculum, um, which I was very fortunate to have. Um, I was in musical theater a lot as a kid. And then, you know, just being a kid in a family from New Orleans, I got dragged to, you know, Jazz Fest every year. I didn't want to go because it was really hot and there's way too much walking for like a five-year-old and no Mm -hmm. one was picking me up. (sighs) Um, (laughs) Past the pickup point. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, when you're that age, you don't fully appreciate all that you're um, absorbing. Mm -hmm. And so there's a bunch of that traditional New Orleans music that influenced me, but also a lot of Latin influences. I listen to a lot of hip hop being from uptown New Orleans. Um, shout out to Juvenile. Got to do it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it was just always a huge 
part of my life without even realizing how big a part of my life it was. What kind of music was being played around the house by, you know, your parents or your relatives or your siblings, if you have any, what, like, what was, what was happening inside the house musically? Ooh, a little bit of everything. I was raised by my grandmother, who was not into secular music at all, really. Um, although was she, was she like, did she prohibit it? No, not okay, at all. Okay. Um, it just was never something that really interested her. But she lived in Chicago um, in her younger days, and then she would just drop little bits about going to see all these people. And she's, oh, you know, the OJs, whatever. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so I listened to a little bit of everything. The family cookouts were a lot of Earth, Wind & Fire and Isley Brothers and... You know, of course, being a little kid, it was like, I don't want to listen to what you guys want to listen to. Ugh. So I listened on my own to a lot of uh, bubblegum pop and mm. sync. Um, Spice Girls were all very big. That's and <laughs> That was your way of rebelling. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Nobody wanted to listen to what I want to listen to. Um, but even now, all that stuff still influences my music. You know, I go into the studio and I'm always going to have at least five-part harmonies. Hmm. And that's NSYNC and, and Spice Girls. <laughs> Do you remember the first music that you owned that you either like bought or was gifted to you for Christmas, like a, you know, a CD or something? I inherited um, most of my cassettes. My first CD uh, was Celine Dion, mm. Falling Into You. Mm. I loved it. That is <laughs> where I learned how to sing. You, so you spent a lot of time in your bedroom singing along to that. In my living room. In your living while room. While my grandmother was napping in the next room. I don't know how she did it. I don't know why she put up with me. But I was belting Celine Dion with her bedroom door open. <laughs> Disrespectful. If I challenge you to try to go back as far as you can for a music-related memory, what pops into your head? Um, dancing to Johnny Be Good uh, with my brother. And that may be one of those memories that is just in my brain because I saw a video of it. Because mm-hmm. um, I was maybe four at the time. So it, it could be like a false memory that was just implanted in my brain right. from that one time we rented a camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, was uh, musical instruments being played in the house? I read, I think you said, uh, said your grandpa was a trumpet player. Yeah, he played um, trumpet in the army. Oh. Um, so he was a jazz musician in, in Nashville and New Orleans for a little while um, while he was in dental school. And then he passed away while he was still in dental school. So he didn't get to pursue uh, music as a career. But I don't think my grandmother would have been super excited if he had. <laughs> I think she was ready for that dentist one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you got a guitar at age 10, I think, if I'm yes, remembering I did. right. How did that come about? Did you ask for it or did somebody loan it to you, lend it to you, hand it down to you? I begged for years and years for a guitar. Because um, you wanted to play those Spice Girl songs, <laughs> I I was also very into Aerosmith and Lenny Kravitz, and so ah, that was where you wanted to play. Lenny I wanted Kravitz. to shred, yeah, yeah, um, and just be a little tiny brown girl version of Joe Perry. Um, I don't have the hands for it, turns out. But uh, I was in piano lessons for a long time, from probably six to ten, and I hated it because I always wanted to play guitar, and it wasn't. The connection wasn't there for me. But you were learning. You were learning some ish. I was cheating. Um, I have a very good ear. (laughs) So you were were doing the least amount of work for the least amount of criticism. Yeah, I mean, it it was clear that if I stuck out with piano for a little while, I would eventually get 
to move to guitar. I wish that I'd taken piano more seriously and taken, you know, reading music more seriously, but I was just trying to get to the next thing. Um, And so my dad got me uh, a pawn shop guitar because he didn't trust me to take it seriously. Yeah. Because I guess he got burned by my brother who wanted, I don't know if he wanted a violin, but they got him a violin and he never touched it. And so they said, we're not doing this again. You're going to get a $25 guitar. It's going to be the most difficult thing you've ever had to play <laughs> because it was old and rusty and, and horribly Super gross. high action. And, oh, it was terrible. By the yeah. time I got a real guitar, I was like, this is so easy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look well, at this. That's the way to go. Yeah. Did you take right to it? Were you able to play pretty much, um, at least get good enough that you could start playing along and singing and stuff like that? Yeah. It didn't take too long um, just because I was so invested in it and I needed to prove to my dad that it wasn't a waste of money and prove to myself that I could do it and be one of the cool kids. Um, and it it wasn't too bad. Um, my school, I went to a, an Episcopalian grade school, and so every Monday morning we had guitar chapel. Oh. And so that was like my first gig. So every Monday we would, you know, open up a book and sing, you know, campy Christian rock sort of tunes. <laughs> <laughs> that I was not into, but it was very cool to sit in an ensemble and be the only girl up there, obviously, um, and just play my guitar with people. That was fun. Do you remember the first time you played just by yourself? You, you weren't part of an ensemble. It was just you with your guitar and whatever nerves were present. I think it took me until 15. Okay. Um, or maybe even later than that. I don't know. Um, maybe 17 on like a stage in front of people. That was at a high school talent show. Mm, what'd you play? Um, I played one of my songs that wound up on my very first record. Um, it was called Maybe Baby. I wrote it, I guess, sophomore year, so when I was 15. So even at talent show level in high school, you were playing your own music? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love listening to other people's stuff and singing along to other people's stuff, but it takes a lot to get me to cover a tune. Like, I've got maybe 10 in the rotation. Um, and part of that was just sheer stubbornness. Just, you know, starting out on gigs and people were calling out songs like, no, I don't want to play that. What's your favorite cover to play? Or um, the one that bothers you to play the least? <laughs> I still love Use Me. Um, Bill Withers, that was the first one that we added to the set list way back in the day. And... I put it on my 2012 record because people liked it so much. Um, and so I still really enjoy doing it. I'll do any Bill Withers tune. I don't care. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, let's do your first song. Yeah. This is the uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Very, very big in my house. Um, my mother loved Paul Simon. Um, I think... Art never gets the credit he deserves. It just <laughs> breaks my heart every time. But um, he's just got the voice of an angel on that tune. So this one, my mom passed away when I was six. And so this sort of feels like a connection to her. Yeah. And I'll, honest to God, I'll take the Simon and Garfunkel version or the Aretha version. We've Either got the way. Simon and Garfunkel SMG version, but it's I not die. too late for the Aretha <laughs> version if you want to switch. No, nah, we got to give Art his props. So this is something that your mom played a lot around the house that you have some early memories of? It wasn't even Bridge Over Troubled Water that she played, really. It was just, um, well, I guess it was that whole record. 
um, there was always something playing in the background, and Simon and Garfunkel was heavy in rotation. You ever play this song? Um, I did once. Um, we did a... Uh, Every year, the Recording Academy, the Grammys, has something called um, Reimagined. And so, you know, you they contact a bunch of artists and then they cover a, a Grammy-winning song. And so we did Bridge Over Troubled Water in maybe 20... Well, what how what did my hair look like? <laughs> I'm trying to see. If my head was shaved, then I have a ballpark about where it was. Um, it must have been 2011 or something. Um, but I actually wound up getting tonsillitis... And so we had to record through that. So it's not my favorite thing to listen to. (laughs) Okay, well, let's listen to this song uh, together with you. This is Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel, released in 1970 on their fifth studio album by the same name, Bridge Over Troubled Water. This is Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. Mm. Hmm. When was the last time you listened to that, like, closely? Um... It's been a while. Actually, I saw in New Orleans, I saw a very interesting live show that was like part musical, part biography. It was very strange. It was two actors playing Simon and Garfunkel, but they had the whole band and they would tell like they told the story of Simon and Garfunkel interspersed with the music and they they then in the live band setting. Then they they had the chops to. Oh, yeah. Hmm. They nailed it. Huh. Whoever played Art Garfunkel had me weeping like a baby. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the most recent time that I really sat with it and let the words hit me. Um, especially that second verse, when you're down and out, man. Mm. I sing that to my uh, nieces and nephews when they're falling asleep. They don't care. They don't like it at all, but whatever. Where were you going <laughs> in your head while you were listening to that with us? Um, I would actually really love to cover that song as a 6-8 blues. I'll figure it out. So you were producing your future music. (laughs) (laughs) In my head, that's where I was. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's fair enough. Um, You know, I don't, this is going to sound crazy, but I don't know if I've ever really listened to that song from beginning to end closely before. Mm. I mean, I've heard it a million times because sure. it's like you can't not have heard it mm-hmm. between movies and probably a soap commercial along the way or something. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's amazing. It's a great it song. It really is. And, and just the progression of it, like it's so sparse. And then you hear pan to the right, just a little guitar. And then that bass drops on the left. And you're like, here we go. Ooh, <laughs> here comes Silver Girl. Yes. Um, okay, we're going to go back into your high school years. Yeah. You went away for high school. Did I get that right? I did. Right? Yeah, I went to boarding school in Connecticut. What Watertown. was that like? Um, it was awesome, actually. I hated my grade school. I was so unpopular and so different, and I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, and so I went to boarding school in Connecticut, which still had, you know, the clicky sort of vibe. And then you're also dealing with wealth on a level that I'd never understood before. <laughs> like, Wow. Um, but at the same time, it was a very international school, um, and they did a lot in terms of promoting diversity in admissions. Um, was the culture perfect? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but it was a much more welcoming environment than the one I came from, and it was also very um, artistic, and that's when I really dove 
into music more. I thought I was going to be a professional basketball player, so that was another reason why really? I went there. Another thing I didn't come across in reading up on you. Oh, I mean, <laughs> so you played basketball in high school? Um, I didn't actually. That was my plan, um, and then I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, oh. and so I was benched. Um, and then I did almost four years of physical therapy. We had to have like, you know, a sport that we did. Um, and so I just went to PT. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> um, theater, band, chorus, choir, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Super. All of it? Super nerd. All of it. Um. Which was your like preferred nerdness? Um, I did a lot of my own thing during high school, which was another really great, opportunity um, with which I was presented. I made a lot of music videos for my original music. Um, what were you shooting on at that point? Like a high 8 camera or something? I had a Panasonic DVX-1000A. Okay. Um, it was cream of the crop at the time. Mm-hmm. I think it was the last digital camera that went to a mini DV tape. I mm-hmm. think the model right after all of a sudden started going to the memory cards. And I was mm-hmm. like, God damn it. Oh, I'm so close. <laughs> Um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I had um, a lot of resources available to me at, at my high school because it was what it was. Um, they had a lot of money to their AV room around. was like Hollywood. Yeah, we had it was called the Treehouse, um, and it was awesome. And there were a bunch of us nerdy people. Unfortunately, my mentor turned out to be a huge monster who's in federal prison now. But um, wow. Unfortunately, I did learn a lot from him in terms of... Uh, Even monsters can pass along knowledge, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, what do you do? In that situation, <laughs> it's like, man, we were making different kinds of videos. Gross. Um, uh. But uh, I, I learned a lot. I was able to be creative and express myself in a way that I hadn't been able to before. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I did... I was in the choir as well. We... 50 voices um, doing mostly mostly choral, um, religious sort of music. Every once in a while, we would dip our toe into something secular. It wasn't a religious school by any means, um, but, you know, in that sort of choir, that's really what lends itself that's to those what voices. The, yeah, that's what the book has and for you. And it's yeah. beautiful, man. I, I've got one of our CDs. Um, we toured Italy my sophomore year. Um, and we recorded a CD while we were over there, and I still love a sustained chord from a chorus. Like, it just gets me every time. Ooh, and musical theater, too. What was your favorite role? Um, I didn't get to do—I was more behind the scenes at that point in high school. Um, in grade school, I was cast as Cha-Cha Di Gregorio in Greece. There you go. Um, for weird reasons. I auditioned for Rizzo. <laughs> I didn't get it, but they were like, hey— we need somebody to, that looks kind of Italian. Can you do this? <laughs> you can also be assistant director. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. I accept. <laughs> so in college, then you were more like you know stage managing, helping with light, sound, costumes, things like that. Um, actually, by the time I got to college, I, I mean in high school. Sorry. Oh, in high school, I yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a little bit of that, mostly doing my own stuff. I filmed a variety show as well called the Mebo show. I just made my friends do weird stuff. When you're at boarding school, it's like, what else are you going to do? Have you seen Rushmore? I have. Were you like that, kid? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and just like constantly writing short films and 
people be like, I'm not an actor. Like, shut up. Just do it. Like, just say this line. I'll make you look good. I promise. Did you go away to school with a guitar or guitars? Were you playing like, you know, music, music that then then on your own as well? Yeah. Um, I brought my guitar with me. I wanted to take private lessons um, because Were you still playing the $25 pawn shop guitar? No. At that point, I'd graduated to uh, a Fender acoustic. I think it took my dad a couple years to realize that I was taking it seriously. And so then it was probably right before I left for high school that he gave me that guitar um, for like a birthday or something. Um, And so I brought that up with me and I brought my camera and, you know, I just started doing what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a filmmaker as well. Um, So I was studying writing um, for the screen in high school as well. And so making music videos and short films like that with music um, felt like the perfect marriage of, of my two passions. Now that the WNBA was off the off the schedule, <laughs> Ugh. Uh, band? Do you have a band any, at any? You know, at what point? I know you had a band called MNSKP, but that came much later, right? Um, yeah, my senior year, I started to play with a couple other people, but I was always so paralyzed by fear and anxiety. Um, I was going to get to that. I picked up on that from reading. That yeah. You... Uh, so it that was why it, it took me until my senior year to play an original song in front of people that weren't just my friends in our room. Um, and I recorded a bunch of stuff. I, I recorded two or three albums when I was in high school that I recorded using my video camera um, and video editing software. And then I just pulled out the audio. And so you would I like made. multi-track to some degree mm-hmm. by pulling the audio from your camcorder. Yes. And then using video editing software for just the sound. Yes. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was before GarageBand was <laughs> yeah, free on every innovative. Mac. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm not paying for any more software. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah, in my dorm room closet, um, making all my friends listen to my CDs and stuff. <laughs> Do you still have that stuff? Um, on a hard drive somewhere, yeah. Mm. Buried on my computer. One of those, or a couple of those songs turned into something that we still play live, um, but not a lot of them. <laughs> so did you, you know, Connecticut's right there, New York City. Did you guys get to go in and, you know, go into the city at all during your high school years? Yeah, that was one of the things that sort of <clears throat> knocked the wind out of me. Um, a friend of mine lived uh, on the Upper East Side, and so, you know, she invited us over to her house for a long weekend and it was a, I want to say a four story brownstone on the Upper East Side. And I was just like, what the hell is this? Who lives like this? What? Um, yeah. And then they took us to see uh, the Phantom on Broadway. Uh, that was my first Broadway show. It was incredible. I loved every minute of it. Um, but being in New York was always, very weird to me just because it was so different from New Orleans. New Orleans is not a normal city. Um, it's not a hustle and bustle kind of urban area. We're very chill. We're very laid back. Also super angry under the surface, but whatever. Um, and so New York was just, there's just too much going on for me. There's way too many people. The buildings are way too big. And why are the blocks so long? They're like, oh, it's only four blocks away. Like 15, 20 minutes later, you're like, <gasps> I can't handle this. Our blocks are itty bitty. So where do you, you went to Loyola? I did. 
what was your dream at that point or what did you – I saw you studied like English literature. Yeah. That was a weird thing for me to see in reading up on you. That was all – Got to pick something? Pretty much. I, I told my <laughs> – I like words. Yeah. I mean I told my family I would get a degree. Um the summer after I graduated from boarding school, um, Katrina hit. Oh. I was enrolled uh, at Savannah College of Art and Design for film school, mm-hmm. but I deferred a year because I just wanted a break. Like boarding school was rough. Senior year, all of a sudden we were dealing with like real adult problems. And so I just needed a break. Um, and then a week after I decided to defer, Katrina hit. So the universe was like, you were going to take a break anyway. Mm. Um and then over the course of that year in New Orleans, once we got back to the city, I'd started a band um, and we started to get some momentum. That was Eminescopy. Oh, you say uh, it that. Okay. Eminescopy. Yeah. It didn't last long for a reason, obviously. Um, that was all y'all's names or something, right? Those were our the initials of our original lineup. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. And I was like, but you say it like a word. Whatever. Um, <laughs> it wasn't my best band name. And... Uh, I lost the battle, and they renamed it just Mia Borders. So that's fair, I guess. Um, But we'd started that band in February of 2006. Um, Our first show was April 15th, 2006. Uh, So by the time the next school year rolled around, Loyola University in New Orleans was just throwing money at people um, to get their enrollment numbers back up. So I agreed to go to Loyola. I didn't want to study jazz or classical because those are the only two music options at the time. Now there's a pop program. I actually taught there for five years in the pop program, but it didn't exist when I was a student. So I just went with English Lit and figured um, that I'd probably just wind up going to law school after that and practicing. Um, But then I was a paralegal during college and I was like, oh no, this is garbage. (laughs) Law school because you liked law or because you just wanted to have a stable career and thought, I do, I'm, you know, I'm pretty bright. I like stuff. I'll go to law school. I do really enjoy law. Oh yeah? Um, Yeah. I, I get a kick out of writing my own contracts and and doing all that stuff. Um, I do appreciate my time as a paralegal. I feel like I'm in a better position than other musicians were when they first started out. Um, I almost got screwed over by my first deal in Nashville. Um, and so I created my record label and my production company to protect myself. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm still very interested in that, but the grind and the day to day bullshit of working in a law office, I just couldn't handle. And so, you know, graduation started to approach and my dad was like, you looking at grad schools? No, I'm not. <laughs> Did you at all look at grad schools or just literally you were just like maybe in the back of your mind a year ago it was on your table. By then you were just like, I'm just not going to do it because that's a hard decision to like unmake, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah, it didn't really phase me that much. I wound up doing a post-grad program at Berkeley College of Music Online um, and that was, you know, it's not a master's but – or it's not a master's degree. It's a certificate. But I – I got what I needed to out of the post-grad experience. And so I don't think getting an MBA is going to really further my career any more than, you know, my on-the-job on the knowledge has. Um, I don't know if this is a weird question because I don't know exactly, you know, I'm obviously familiar with Katrina and what it did to New Orleans. But mm-hmm. um, how severely were your family affected? You know, I know there's some places that were completely wiped out and maybe some peripheral areas that weren't quite so bad. Like what mm-hmm. was the what was your family's Katrina experience in a in a nutshell, if that's possible? 
Um, in a nutshell, I we evacuated um, pretty early on. As soon as my grandmother heard the word voluntary, she was always out. Um, and usually it didn't wind up being anything serious, so we were all rolling our eyes, obviously. And then, of course, you know, we turned on the news and we were like, oh, damn. Um, we have an up and down double, um, or raised basement is what it's called in New Orleans because you can't really have basements under under the ground. Although some people do, and that's crazy. Um, so downstairs was just storage at that point. No one was living down there. Um, so we didn't lose too much stuff. Um, but, you know, it was just stuff at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, some of my family wound up at the Superdome because they didn't listen to the evacuation notice and weren't in a financial position to get out at that point. Um, my uncle lived out in New Orleans East. He was a very stubborn, stubborn man. Uh, it was fine. I've ridden out worse. Okay, great. Um, and then he wound up having to walk the entire I-10 from New Orleans East to the Superdome, um, which is about 15 miles wow. on the highway. Um, and he was so mad because he just had to shave his head because somebody messed up his jerry curl. That's the kind of person we're talking about. Um, <laughs> and so then he wound up burning his entire scalp walking. Uh-huh. And that is what he was the most upset about. He said, first they took my jerry curl and now my head is burned. Like, <laughs> Uncle Van, please. You see the just devastation? You're alive, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, we just had, uh, you know, back in the fall, we had Hurricane Ian hit yeah. us. And, and it's the same kind of mentality. Like there's a lot of people around here that were like, I could ride it out because, you know, over the decades, you normally you almost always can. Yeah. But then suddenly, like, our barrier islands were under 15 feet of water, you know, just mm-hmm. like that. So anyway, not that the two are comparable. No, I mean, at this point, it's just, you know, my brother and his wife have three kids now. And it's just like, there's no point. Like, we just have to get out. Mm-hmm. Somebody, although, what was it? Hurricane Ida was our last evacuation last summer. Um, we wound up around here somewhere, I think. Um, and of course my dad is still stubborn. He's like, oh, I'm going to stay. <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. Before we get to your second song, I just mm-hmm. want to dip back into college just a little bit. Um, yeah. you were performing all through then. Um, you know, was that just band music by then or did you do theater or any of those things in college or as an English lit major, G major, do you just not do that? Um, I didn't perform at Loyola. Um, really, it was mostly just, I said, I'd get this degree. Let me just do this. But you were playing I gigs and stuff I can read all these books and point? write in my sleep, whatever. Um, but yeah, my band was gigging, gotcha. uh, at least once a month at that point. Um, and then it started to build and build. And then we started going on little quick trips while I wasn't in class and stuff. Do you remember your first, like, we're going on the road, go play a gig somewhere that's not local? Um, our first plane trip as a band was to Helena, Montana. Mm. Um, and it was, I think, Women Fest or something. Um, I played a lot of Women Fests. <laughs> I don't know um, if that's what it was. Mount Helena Music Fest, Mount Helena Women's Music. I can't remember. But it was awesome. Um, and, you know, I like to think it was more than just the fact that it was our first trip um, out on the road as a band. Um, it was just really beautiful. I love performing outside, especially around trees and mountains and water. And so... It was a really, really nice experience, and all the vendors um, wrote me a thank you card. Mm. Uh, it was very strange. I was like, is this what it's like every time? It's not. Um, but it was a really, really positive um, first road experience. Been back to Montana since? I have. Actually, not Helena, though. Um, I've been to Miles City, which is 
apparently Montana is a huge state. Um, and so Miles City is quite far from where we were originally. Montana is this weird state where it's like this great big state and there's like less people in it than in the county we're in. Yes. And there's <laughs> so much meth. It's, it's oh, every, I didn't even know about that. Oh, my God. Every other billboard is like, drop the meth. I'm like, is that a thing here? Like, oh, yes. Wow. That's what I learned today. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do your second song. <laughs> <laughs> is this Pac? Uh, it is. Yes! Come on. Man, um, I feel like if there's a musical spectrum and on one end is Simon and Garfunkel and the other end is Tupac, I'm dead center. <laughs> That's sort of where I, I, I feel like I fit somehow. There's a lot of elements of um, both of the styles of music um, you can hear in my music. And I just love Tupac, man. Mm. Why'd you pick this song? Um, this is my favorite Tupac song. Um, it, interestingly enough, made me want to have a son. Like for a long time, I was like, I want to be a single mom to a son. Why? What would possess <laughs> me to want that? Um, and it's not like he glorifies the relationship at all in any sort of way that would make me <laughs> as like a 13 year old girl really want that. Um, but it was it's just such a heartfelt song. And I have such weird relationships with parents because I was raised by my grandmother. Um, I saw my father every once in a while. My mom died when I was really young. And so to, to hear a song so heartfelt from someone who is often perceived as a quote-unquote thug. Um, it, it's still, I still think it's one of the most beautiful pieces ever written. I love the sample from Sadie by The Spinners. Um, yeah, it's just a beautiful song. Well, let's listen to it together. This Ooh. is Dear Mama by Tupac from his album Me Against the World. It was released in 1995. It's Me Aboard, her second song here on Three Song Stories. You all appreciate it. Another tasty nugget. Mm. What's that make you think or feel? Um, it actually makes me think about my grandmother more and more. Um, I was thinking maybe it was. Yeah, there's that line, there's no way I can pay you back, but my plan is to show you that I understand you're appreciated. Um, and I think my grandmother and I had that sort of dynamic. She took me in and raised me and did all the things that she didn't need to be doing as a 63-year-old woman with an infant. Um and then we had a, a really close relationship throughout all my life. We definitely had some issues um, when I was a teenager. Whoops. I'm sure that was all her <laughs> fault. <laughs> Yikes. Sorry about that. Um, and then she got sick um, right around, I was 28 maybe. Um, and then it, it was just sort of understood that I'd be the one to take care of her. Um, and so we definitely had that sort of relationship that was based on sacrifice and making sure the other person was always taken care of. And I think that's uh, where I get that drive within me to make sure that everybody's okay. Um, it's definitely set me back if you ask my therapist um, in terms of <laughs> me always putting other people first, but that was what I was shown as a child and that's how I was raised. Um, and dear mama really hit that. Mm. Dear Grandma. <laughs> Dear Grandma. Um, so you finish college. You decide you're not going to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. Did you 
consider film at that point? Because that, that was something that you were dreaming of early on. Or did you were you so far into music at that point, you're like, I'm going to make a go of this? I think it was, I've already got a head start in music, so let me go and get this established, let that be my sort of foot in the door in terms of the entertainment industry. I was always still writing. Um, I have a few screenplays that I have finished and a couple of placed in competitions, but I've never really been brave enough to pursue that actively just because it takes up all of my time. Like in the same way that music is a 24-hour job, screenwriting and acting would also be a 24-hour job. And and I don't know if I'm at the point yet where I want to put music on hold for as long as it would take to really get that going. I guess I should think about it, though. <laughs> well, having come from, you know, your your roots with, you know, camcorders and how clunky everything was these mm-hmm. days, man, you know, you shouldn't write a short film and make it in a weekend. I should, <laughs> you know? Because, I mean, now it's all so accessible. It, it's crazy just to look at the size of a hard drive these days. Yeah, and when I got my first iPhone, GoPro, yeah. it was I was like, look at this thing in my palm. Wow. And my camera phone, you know, so, the technology is there. So you had the original band? Yes. Imanescopy? Imanescopy. I, I need to say it. it. Um, uh, <laughs> did any of the members of that band, you said you kind of changed your name to Mia Borders. Did, mm-hmm. Are any of them still with you now? No, they were, um, well, they still are, uh, friends of my brother. He's 10 years older than I am. Um, And so my first show was opening up for their band. Um, And so a couple of them sat in with me to play my set, and then I wound up stealing them from their band. Um, And we were together as a group for about five years. And then in 2010, just before Jazz Fest, um, they said that Jazz Fest is going to be their swan song. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? News to me. Um, but it was, the writing had always been on the wall. You know, there were lawyers. Two of them were lawyers. One is a psychologist. And so it was never going to happen that they were going to go on the road to me. And their wives certainly weren't going to allow that. They <laughs> did not sign up for that. Um, so once we started, you know, getting more out-of-town trips, then then it became more apparent. I just wasn't ready to hear it. <laughs> Was that your first jazz fest? That was my first jazz fest, yeah. I read a story about something about you blew out your voice. Oh, Jesus. Everything that could have happened in that jazz <laughs> fest happened. I tore my vocal cords um, because I just went way too hard that first year. And I said yes to every gig. And my managers had only really worked with horn players and not like straight up vocalists. Um, and so they were saying yes to every gig for me. And I was still smoking and drinking and... Yeah, in the middle of one of my songs, She Don't Know, it just, oof, I lost it. And then the rest of that set, I was a little raspy for that set, but the rest of that set is just like, <laughs> Kyle's confetti on guitar. It was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and I couldn't speak for six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Although I did speak, uh, my college graduation was that weekend, and Drew Brees was our speaker. And so I was like, I love you so much, you breathe. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to say it. What was it like to be on stage at Jazz Fest, having probably been to a you know a lifetime's worth of them by then? Yeah, it's always surreal. Um, there are so many people uh, backstage and in front of the stage, and to be able to see my nieces and nephews dancing around at my set um, at Jazz Fest, and then to see them up on the jumbotron. <laughs> Um, it's really special. It will always be, um, 
sort of the the highlight of my year. Like to me, Jazz Fest is like the beginning of my year, or maybe the end of the when year. When is it? I don't know. It's the first weekend or the last weekend in April, first weekend of May. Um, and so I think New Orleans musicians in their mind have that as sort of like the mark of the new year because uh, we burn really hard throughout festival season, pretty much the end of March through April. It's a festival every weekend. Um, and then Jazz Fest is like the big, hurrah, we did it. Have you played it pretty much every year since 2010? Yes. We got rained out a couple times. Um but we've been invited to play every year since. Hmm. Um, you alluded to this earlier about um, uh, anxiety on stage, stage fright being, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I feel like maybe you've gotten past that by now. Like the most recent article I could find, you were ty- you were, it was like a couple years ago and you were mm-hmm. talking about kind of, but it fleshed that out a little bit. Um, were you like the, the in the Doors movie where Jim Morrison had to sing with his back to the crowd? Were 100%. You like- <laughs> Our first band rehearsals were in the dark with everyone turned away from me and me with sunglasses on. It was very serious. The band rehearsal. Yes. Was, so that wasn't even in front of the audience. That yeah, was in yeah, front yeah. of your people. I would say that lasted for about three weeks. And then they were like, we're going to turn around now. We're going to turn like, the lights on, Mia. Okay. Um, but that's why I almost always had sunglasses on on stage. Um, I still do when we have like big band shows or anything like that. Um, but there was just something about needing to be protected. And so that's why the sunglasses are a part of the look now, I guess. Um, it's gotten better for sure. We got to the point where we were playing um, more and more regularly. Like in the beginning, we we're playing once a month. I threw up before every show. It's not great, but it's not the worst thing. But then you start playing twice a week and it's like, I can't do this. <laughs> um, so then, you know, that was when therapy became a huge part of my life and and medication um, and working on really understanding why I was anxious because I was always fine. Once I start playing the first song, I'm good. Um, but it's just getting up there was always such a huge problem. And it started when I was a kid. I remember my first panic attack was before I had to give a speech in Latin in eighth grade and I just freaked out and my grandmother was like what the hell is wrong with you she didn't say hell obviously um but just like what is wrong with you you've always wanted attention you're always the loudest person in the room you've been on stage since you were a kid like what is happening now it's like I don't really know but um that's just how my anxiety manifests is stage fright when you were uh, doing those rehearsals in the dark and sunglasses with your back to the band, mm-hmm, the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, when you're when you're nervous and anxious and you're trying to sing, it's hard to open up. It's hard to like. Were you able under those conditions to open up and like be the the creator that you knew you could be, or were you still kind of being constrained by that even in the dark? Um, Does that make sense? No, I get it. I think I was I was starting to open up. Um, and I don't think I really fully opened up until I quit drinking at 25. Um, so from 18 to 25, we were gigging, um, more and more regularly and I was dealing with my anxiety, um, sort of in tandem with everything. But I always knew that performing was never the problem. That's just the way that my brain reminds me that I'm anxious and be like, oh, here's a really great opportunity for me to mess with the back of your head right now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just, 
uh, it was a part of life for a long time. And it started to come back up um, not too long after my grandmother passed away, just dealing with all that stuff and not addressing my grief properly. Um, so then I started having panic attacks before shows again. I was like, uh-uh, nope, we've got to figure out what's really going on here. Um, and I thought about taking a break professionally, actually, because it was starting to get really bad. Um, and then COVID hit. Uh, I had, I was on the road in Alabama, maybe February 2020. Um, and I was like, oh, I think this might be my last road trip for a while. Uh, and then it turns out it was for other reasons. Um, but then quarantine, I really missed performing. I really missed engaging with people. I was doing the weekly live streams, but that's not, you know, you don't get that feedback from what people. What an interesting time that Nobody was. Nobody was laughing at my jokes. What? They were hearting them. Yeah. They were like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> LOL, girl. And my two dogs were like, really? Again? We're doing this? <sighs> Um, but yeah, and then by the time we started to be able to play out more, it was like, okay, no, this is, I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I just go, I need to go talk to my therapist about some stuff too. Um, you've put out between your various projects, it looks like you've got at least about a dozen releases over the years. Ooh, probably. Yeah. The most recent was good side of bad. Yeah. That was, uh, the 2019 EP when I thought that. Things were really looking up. <laughs> I thought 2018 was the low point and we were getting through it. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> <laughs> 2020 had some ideas too. Whoops. Um, that was put out on your own label, right? Yes. Blacksican? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, that was 2019. You're yes. obviously still making music. Are mm-hmm. you cooking up something else? Um, I've got... A few new tunes. It took a long time for me to start writing again. Um, I was teaching for five years at Loyola, and that was so emotionally draining. Um, Teaching music? Yeah, I was teaching. um, I was running two student ensembles. We had, like, student bands, um, and I picked the songs. and uh, Well, I let them pick. I let them choose a, a general idea of songs, and then I narrow it down from there. Um, And then I was also teaching a songwriting class um, and it had started becoming more and more emotionally taxing and it's just hard to get any sort of creative juices flowing in that state of mind, especially when you're dealing with other creatives constantly. Like I'm grading 14 original songs every week. (laughs) Yeah, that's got to make it basically impossible. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not interested in in writing stuff right now Um, and then teaching over Zoom teaching music. Are you still teaching? Good God. Um, no, the beginning of last um, last school year, last August, I told my boss, this is it for me. I'm giving you as much time as possible because I know that I do too much here and you're going to need to hire Look at, at you least three lines. people to replace me. <laughs> so I'm giving you the time and space. Yeah, but that immediately after I said that out loud that I wasn't coming back, it was like, okay, we're good. I feel happier. I feel less anxious. I just, I can't not take other people's emotional baggage on. <laughs> and so I just had to get out. How much touring do you do? Um, not a whole lot. I I prefer the writing and the studio aspect of it. Um, I do love performing for people and connecting with different audiences. Um, so I'm not that person who can be on the road 40 weeks a year. It's very much a two two to three weekend a month type of 
type of deal that I got going on. You're going to the key. You're going to the keys next uh, in September. You got yeah. five shows over three days at the Green Parrot. It is a grueling marathon. Is that a, a place you play whenever you come through? I mean, that's, um, a, that's a cool place. Yeah, we started doing the Parrot. Um, gosh, I was still drinking when we started, so it had to be maybe 13 years ago or something, or 12 years ago. Um, yeah, it's the first year we did it, we stopped in Miami on the way down. That was a mistake um, because <laughs> Key West is is a one stop for us. Um, by the end of it, nobody has any voice. Our fingers are bleeding. Well, especially if you're playing, like you're playing literally like five, five shows over three days. That's right, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, and this year, the first year we did it, um, they said, oh, we have to get somebody different for Saturday night because it's Women Fest, so all these lesbians are going to be on the island. And my manager at the time was like, don't even worry. That's perfect. <laughs> they love her. They always have. Trust me. Um, and so this year, Women Fest is falling on um, that same weekend, like the weekend after Labor Day. So we're, we're going back down for Women Fest. Hmm. Watch out, ladies. Um, we're going to get to your third song, but mm-hmm. um, I just want to talk uh, concerts that you've performed. What's your favorite stage so far? Um, I mean, I hate to say Jazz Fest just because it's so obvious. Um, but oh, I, I mean, you know, Jazz Fest year after year in your hometown, that's got to be pretty special. I really do love it, and I'm one of the few locals that's on um, – the two main stages. Um, so we've bounced back. It used to be the Acura stage. Now I think it's just back to being the festival stage. Um, but that's where I saw Simon and Garfunkel. That's where I saw Stevie Wonder. Um, so to be able to perform on that stage is, is really special. And playing on the Gentilly stage um, is also incredible. Um, I've seen some really fantastic musicians there uh, as well. I think Brandy Carlisle and Alanis Morissette a couple years ago. Um, they had us all stacked. It was like a lady day. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so I, I got to open up the stage on that day. Um, it's just really special. Those those big outdoor festivals and I get to have the eight-piece band up there with me. So it's just me and my friends having a good time. Do you have a dream gig, dream stage? <laughs> Red Rocks. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Our guest, this, today's episode that just came out is a Canadian band named Rare Americans, and Ooh. it's the front man, a guy named James Priestner, and that was his answer to that same question. I mean, Polestar used to do um, annual awards for best venues and stuff, and then Red Rocks won the best outdoor venue so many years in a row that they just named it the Red Rocks Outdoor Venue Award because it's just cream of the crop. Gorgeous. Have you seen a show there? I haven't. My brother just went. I was like, what a waste. You don't even care. I was driving out west back in 99, and I pulled in, like, weekday, 2 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. You can just drive in and park and walk out there and walk up and stand there. Like, I just, like, I just stood there for about five minutes and then kind of walked up some of the big steps, and then I left. Oh, man, note to (laughs) self. (laughs) I I just need the picture, you know? (laughs) Um, Okay, let's do your third song. All right. This one, if anyone was going to get me to cry, it's Gladys Knight. Um, I love her. It's just more grandma stuff, probably. <laughs> uh, I saw her live because I, I just got fed up. I'd seen, I've seen a lot of great musicians live, and I've also missed a lot of great musicians live. I missed Prince because I was too stoned to leave my house. That's foolish. Come on now. 
That's like one you of my had biggest. a legit chance to go at a certain time, yes. and you were like, "Eh, I'll see him again someday." I'm just going to sit around. It was Essence Fest in New Orleans, and my manager said, "We just got tickets, some extra tickets for Prince tonight. Do you want to come with us?" And my, I just had like three edibles, and I was like, "Oh, I'm probably in for the night. I'm really sorry." Had you caught me five minutes ago, I would have gotten it together, but I probably wouldn't have even um, just being an antisocial person. Um, but it was one of those things. It was like, I'll catch him next time. And then I didn't get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gladys Knight was playing in Lake Charles uh, January 2019. My grandmother had just passed away a few months before that. And so I said, it, I'm going. Um, I bought myself a front row seat at the Golden Nugget Casino. <laughs> Um, and I just enjoyed every minute of it. I was the only person under the age of 40 in that room. I'm certain of it. Um, I got a bunch of weird looks, uh, just hysterically crying. And then she started, um, uh, the best thing that ever happened to me. And then she came and held my hand just cause I was bawling like an idiot. <laughs> She held your hand. Yeah, I mean, she walked down the whole front row eventually. But still, but you had a moment of touch with her. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, I was the only person in like the middle section of the front row. Uh, So I had like three seats empty on either side of me. So I must have bought seats that they didn't. Yeah, they're probably just hanging out of the bar, wasting wasting my life. Um, But yeah, I I stood out for sure as this young person in the front row by myself, bawling, and she just came, just like held out her hand, like oh my god, I can't handle this. It was great, and then I won thirty dollars at a slot machine that night. Got myself a steak dinner. I knew that was grandma looking down on me. But anyway, Gladys Knight has one of the most pure voices I've ever heard. Um, And it holds up. Like, she's still got it. She's killing it. And this song just breaks my heart every time. I think this is Jim Weatherly that wrote this one. Passed away maybe 2021, I think. Um, Yeah, just a beautiful song. Well, let's listen to it. This is Mia Border's third and final song in this week's episode of Three Song Stories. This is Neither One of Us. And then in parentheses, wants to be the first to say goodbye uh, by Gladys Knight and the Pips from the 1973 album of the same name. I always sing the Pips parts. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. You ever uh, play that song or any of her music? Oh, God, no. No. I would be too afraid. That's yeah. just, man, I've played that song by myself before and I like can't make it to the first or through the first verse. That's just a, oof, that's a brutal love song right there. And you can, I, the, I think the reason why I love her voice so much is that she conveys emotion so effectively. Like the breaks in her voice throughout that song are just heart wrenching every time. Because mm. her voice is so clean and so pristine, and so those breaks are a very technical, emotional choice, and I love that so much. Uh, she seems probably to inspire you as a singer. Are there any other, mm-hmm. you know, musicians, singers that you'd like to nod? Um, I mean, I grew up listening to the big voices, so there was a lot of Whitney Houston in my house. My mother loved Whitney Houston as well. Um, I used to put on Whitney Houston concerts for her. And my dolls, I would set them up in front of her bed, and then I would just sing How Will I Know over and over again. Um, Celine Dion, like I said, I love Etta James, too. Um, And then as a songwriter, I've always 
really, really loved Bill Withers. Um, and as a guitar player, you know, I got so into my head as a kid wanting to be Joe Perry and Lenny Kravitz and, and just shredding all the time, but I just don't have the hands for it. My arthritis was never going to let that happen. Um, and he's just such a tasteful rhythm guitarist and compelling songwriter and really emotional singer. And so then I started to look to him and be like, okay, that's what I can do then. That's my lane or that's closer to my lane than what I originally thought it was going to be. Um, which evolved from the Janet Jackson headset dancing um, to the Lenny Kravitz shredding. And then I wound up at, you know, the singer-songwriter vibe. Midway between Paul Simon and Garfunkel and Tupac. That's me, right there. (laughs) Me and Bill Withers. All right. We're going to do a speed round, but before we do, tell us about your podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a podcast. It's called Great Question with Mia and Kate. Um, It's available wherever you listen. Um, It's just us. Shooting the um, We ask a lot of silly, innocuous questions that sometimes turn into very heated debates about sandwiches um, and the merits of egg salad. I think it should be eliminated from the planet. <laughs> oh, wow. Wasn't sure which way you were going with Get it that. out of my life. I don't want to touch anything on my plate. Um, and then, you know, we talk about life after death and, and if we believe in that stuff and if aliens are real, which they totally are. Wow, guys. <laughs> it's crazy out there. Watch your back. Uh, okay. Time for a speed round. Oh, gosh. Um, do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share? Um, Mia, actually, is my nickname. What's your real name if you'd be willing to share? Mia Flor. <laughs> <laughs> or Mia Flor. Um, it's one word. It, my mom made it up. It means is there an E my, on the end? No. no. It's um, M-I-A-F-L-O-R. Okay. One word. It means my flower. Hmm. Yes. But, you know, from day one, everybody's called me Mia. Or some people call me Meba. That happened in high school because I was obsessed with Jennifer Lopez, and she switched to J-Lo. Okay. Um, (laughs) I went too far. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, Karaoke. Do you do karaoke? Um, I almost exclusively do hip-hop when I do karaoke because at this point, nobody in my family wants to hear me sing anymore. Like They're like, we get it. Okay. Stop it. So there's a lot of uh, LL Cool J. Will Smith, for whatever reason, I know every Will Smith song. <laughs> what do you mean, for whatever reason? He's got I mean, songs worth that, knowing. That Big Willie style record was everywhere for a while. So I'll go in on some Miami every once in a while. Um, when was the last time you purchased music that you could hold in your hand? Ooh, um, I bought, I've been trying to rebuild my vinyl collection. Um, we lost the vinyl collection that I had as a kid in Hurricane Andrew, which was 96 or 90, was it? 92. Was it really? How did I, wow, gosh, there's always one. Um, so yeah, we lost uh, all we of We know our what our years are here in <laughs> yes. Florida. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We lost a, a bunch of our music then. Um, and then anything that we had, after that was then lost in Katrina. And so I, I've got maybe like 30 records now. So I think the most recent one I bought was a special edition of uh, Selena's last concert live. Have you checked out uh, Joe's records? 
here in downtown Fort Myers? Oh, well, she just rolled into town. Oh, yeah. There is a record shop a mile from where you're playing tonight. Oh, wow. It's a great little record shop. It has, like, comics and stuff, too, and other knickknacks. But, like, the records they they have, I found most of my Temptations records from there. Oh, snap. I might have to go. Yeah. yeah, When you leave here, you'll have time time. to go there before you go there. Yeah, for sure. If you want. Anyway, yeah, Joe's Record Shop. Joe's Record Shop. We like to give them shouts out on the show. I love that. If you were a championship wrestler... Mia, mm-hmm. what music would you use to enter? Oh man, um, there's one song uh, by a group called Fort Minor. Um, the song is called "Remember the Name," and uh, Fort Minor is the hip hop group of uh, Mike Shinoda from uh, why can't I think? Oh my God, come on now, Lincoln Park. <gasps> I was going to lose myself if I didn't remember that. Um, but I always love Linkin Park. I always love Mike Shinoda. And then he did, they did the crossover album with Jay-Z and was like, oh man, this is incredible. I hope they do a hip hop record. And then Fort Minor came out and there's one song that starts with this. What's it called? Jared, bring it up. Oh, remember the name. Oh man. Just like imagine me in my Creed silk robe with, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll have a Lucha Libre mask on just to really honor my people. Buy again? <laughs> Fort Minor, remember the name. Remember the name? Oh, that's literally that's the, the name. name. That's the name. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. I thought you were, like, trying to remember the name. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I thought no, we, no. we were having a meta moment here. No, no, no. I'm so that's sorry. That's funny. That's the jam. Ugh. That would be my walkout music, because it's really just, like, it's a hype song. You pulling it up, Jared? Oh, I, I, I didn't know you wanted me to play it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought that's what we were doing. I thought you were asking me to find what the name of the song was. Well, I sort of oh, was no, when no, I thought name. she was trying to remember the name. But oh, then once man, she no, remembered no. the name, we were going to play Remember okay, the Name. Okay, sorry. That's... What's your wrestler name? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can say it. It's Susia Sanchez. If anybody can translate that, then you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's foolish behavior, and I apologize. I came up with it when I was 12 because I was 12. There That's you all. go. Um, if you had to guess, what song do you think you've listened to the most times? Ooh. Um, for a long time, it was an En Vogue tune, actually. Like, my iTunes play count, for whatever reason, that one song, En Vogue, Never Gonna Get It, was at, like, 20,000, and everything else was at, like, 400. <laughs> Uh, it's a great tune. I can't imagine having listened to it that many times. But in terms of um, giving you a data-based answer, I suppose it would be my lovin' in parentheses, you're never going to get it by Invoke. <laughs> we like data on this show. And it's funny because, you know, the further we get into the world, like, you know, kids these days, they're going to be able to, like, have literal data on oh, their yeah. lives in a way that's... Man, the way that my students cling on to that stuff already is so disappointing. Like when I came in before I taught, I came in as a a master class speaker and there was some kid who was looking down on his phone and I was like, what's up, my friend? And he's like, you only got like 400 followers on Spotify. I was like, "Okay, good for you. My fan base (laughs) is not on Spotify. But I mean, imagine having 400 people just coming uh, to a performance, like you know, mm-hmm. at a bar or something, that's a lot. You that know? is a lot. But in his mind, he had maybe eleven hundred followers on Spotify wow. for two songs that he put out on his own that he recorded in his closet. He'd never done a live show ever before in his life, and he was somehow ahead of me in the game in his mind. <laughs> so they're already just so committed to 
play counts and subscriptions and likes, and it's just so disheartening. <laughs> I concur. Yeah. Um, what activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? Being in the water. I love it. It can be a pool. It can be a hot tub. It can be the ocean. Um, I, I'm just going to lose the whole day. I love it. Song you wish you could hear again for the first time ever? Bridge Over Troubled Water. Album you wish you could hear again for the first time ever? Oh, Sugar and Spice. Um, you know what? I'm going to say the Spice Girls debut because... Was it called Sugar and Spice? No, but it, I just reminded <laughs> myself of that. That's what I say in front of my nieces and nephews when I can't say um, I think, yeah, the original Spice Girls record, they had a tremendous studio band of 70s funk hard hitters. And I did not appreciate that listening the first time around. And now I can listen to it. And I turned my students onto it. I made them cover one. <laughs> it's called Spice. It's called Spice. Yeah. Um, and that band is just so killing. Um, any songs you'll avoid listening to? Mm. I'm sorry, George. Uh, hey, Pocky Way. <laughs> it's one of those tunes, that one and Black Velvet, um, people just request constantly, and it has turned me off so much. And I've heard people butcher it so many times, and having worked with George Porter Jr., it just irritates me on his behalf. He probably doesn't care at this point. He's just like, whatever, let me get this money. But, yeah, I just can't do it anymore. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every human in one collective moment, what song would it be? Probably, Speaking of aliens. <laughs> yeah, probably Dear Mama Yeah, by Tupac. I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people in my fan base hear me talk about Tupac and they roll their eyes. I know my drummer hates that, just the idea of rap. He's that same sort of old curmudgeonly dude who's like they're just talking and it's like well they're talking about some real like can you listen please um so yeah i would love to to just maybe change a couple people's minds um what would your 14 year old self think of who you are with us today Ooh, 14 she knew so much wow she really thought she had all the answers um I like to think that she'd be pretty impressed. Um, and it would just be because of stupid stuff. Like, I have a bidet at my house. That would probably <laughs> blow her mind. I drive a Volkswagen. That would probably upset her tremendously. Because um, my dad used to drive a Volkswagen, and so that was like a very nerdy car. <laughs> so she'd be disappointed in that. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got a house. That's cool. Two, actually. I've got, I'm a landlord. That's creepy. Um, I like to think she would be proud. She'd probably be very upset that I'm not um, in the WNBA or that I didn't make it to the WNBA and that I'm not like a major film director with an Oscar and an Emmy and Grammy Tony right now. What, I don't have my EGOT yet. But. What would she think about you standing on stage at you know Jazz Fest every year? Um, would that be a shock to her? Were you far enough down the road with music that that seemed like a possibility? 
I don't know that Jazz Fest ever really occurred to me at that age to perform. Um, it did seem like a long shot. And maybe that's just because, you know, we were always at the, the quote unquote main stages watching the international touring acts. And so I didn't really get the experience of seeing live New Orleans musicians at Jazz Fest. That was, you know, um, in other parts of the city and just other times of the year. But Jazz Fest was, you know, when we got our opportunity to see the big famous headliners. Um, so it just didn't seem like I would ever be up there. That wouldn't have ever been something that I would have looked at and be like, oh, I want to do that one day. Like, it just didn't register yet. Who would you like to share a stage with if you could share a stage with anybody? Living Gladys Knight. Yeah? Come on! Would well, you, would then you... you started to say living or dead, and now now I'm lost. Well. <laughs> now we're on some great questions with me and Kate territory. Oh, boy. <laughs> We've gotten into some fights over that. Ooh. Maybe, let's say, living Gladys Knight, dead. It would either be Bill Withers or Selena. Probably Bill Withers. Yeah. I'm sorry to all my Mexican family. <laughs> um, congratulations to all my black family. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, you've done it. Do you have any? Uh, well, no. We need you to recommend your three people. Oh, for this show? Yeah. Somebody who that you'll, you'll, you'll mention that you were on it and then you gave them a shout out. Mm -hmm. And that you think that they might be, if, if asked, they might be willing to do the show even if it's like we hook them up remotely. Oh, I know Juvenile will probably do it. Um, I don't know how crazy you're trying to get. I don't know who's on the bleep machine, but oh, we we've had out. some serious. <laughs> we had um, what's his name from Nap Nappy Roots? Um, oh, uh, be still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had to bleep the beep out of him. <laughs> Even Tara's <laughs> episode. Oh man, my no, that's one of the biggest. Uh, not criticisms, but just comments that we've gotten about our podcast is like, why do you have to say the F word so much? It's like, that's just what we do. Y'all are listening in on a conversation that we're having. You're welcome. So who was that? I would say juvenile. Okay. Um, selfishly, I would love to just have you interview my bassist, Jesse Morrow, because that, I love him. That would be great. And he hates being the center of attention. <laughs> So I would probably be in here with him and be like, yeah, Jay, you got it. I'll hype him up. Um, and he just has such a, a a depth of knowledge when it comes to just the weirdest kind of experimental music you've ever heard in your life. I love it. Going on the road with him and I just give him the aux cable and, and we just get out there. Like, what? Super trippy. Sometimes it's just sounds. I'm into it. Um, and the third one, let me see. Mm. Maybe Nicholas Payton. Although, again, he might get you into some trouble, too. Who's he? <laughs> he is um, a trumpeter based out of New Orleans. He's a composer, um, a producer, a uh, film scorer. He has a lot of opinions about jazz music, quote unquote jazz, and how it's a dirty word. Um He's got some uh, questionable beliefs that I do not endorse when it comes to other things. But musically, I've done a couple panels with him and he's got another, you know, he's another person with just a, a really wide range of knowledge when it comes to music. I would call him a musicologist. I don't know that he would want that word <laughs> put on it. Um, but he's uh, a very impressive musical mind. 
I'll say that, but watch your back. <laughs> okay, well, share this with them, and uh, if you can connect us, it would be great. Do you have any final thoughts before we have you play a song? Um, final thoughts, man. Let's get rid of Egg Salad. Yeah, down with Egg Salad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Foolish. These roads may take me away from. For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to Mia and her acoustic guitar. Here's her performing her song, These Roads, live in our studio. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern, Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Cities go by one by one And the stages they come and they go But these faces and places ain't what I'm searching for No, no That's the one thing that I know for sure And oh I know that you're hurting Oh My wheels keep on turning these roads
listening.